Join us, listeners, as we listen to Behind the Scenes in Andy's House. Listen for interesting little tidbits we will hear in the background, like we're some type of sick voyeurs. And now I suddenly become Morgan Freeman narrating Andy's life, as Andy decided he would go to the restroom in the break between the episodes, and we would all listen to the sound of his urination hitting the water over in England. We were bored for a while at the silence in the house and had to wait to hear the stirrings of maybe a small dog or child or cat or fish or turtle or some other Noah-like beasts he keeps in his home. We strive and wait, but we are getting no sound and interest from the Leyland household. So I, your humble narrator, will move on and switch back to a different voice. I say, let's, let's get this show on! I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert! All crew members report to battle stations! Red alert! Shields up! What shields? Your Starfleet officers! Now start acting like it! Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple, Garrick. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Bloody hell. Hello, 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 everybody. Hello. This is mm-hmm. this is uh, Listen to Prophets. I'm Paul Spataro. Uh, we are here today. I'm here with Dr. Bill Robinson. <laughs> All right, uh, please go in the corner. And and we're here with Andy, 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 Andy Leland. He loves me. He really loves me. And we are here today to look at the DS9 episode oh, Statistical oh, 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 Probabilities. You, 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 you didn't say anything about Dave. <laughs> and unfortunately for us, Dave is mute today. Uh, Dave is, is, since the last episode, Dave is still under the weather and unable to be with us today. So we will do our for best to soldier it's on without serious, him. Yeah. yeah, well, he's, you know, he's... Two he's, weeks! He's nothing if not a Two malingerer. Two weeks! Oh wait! Did not did nobody get that movie reference? At least he's not malignant. Thankful, I'm thankful for that. Yes. So, uh, yeah, Dave is unable to be with us this week, and we all miss him because he would be silently sitting there in a coma, looking up at us, looking it. down, looking up again, looking down, crack a little smile, look down, looking up, with, 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 looking with his down. completely pale makeup and his pale lips. Right, isn't it? Looking up, looking down, looking up, looking down, Disco Dave. <laughs> So, uh, I think we have a difference of opinion about this episode, and we'll get into that a little bit as we go on. But uh, before we do that, does anybody have any Star Trek news to talk about? And no one does. So we'll get right into the episode. <laughs> we should have come up with some Star Trek snacks because I'm starving all of a sudden. <laughs> Bill needs, Bill needs a, a, an injection of white. <laughs> Catch or sell Bill. So, this is Season 6, Episode 9, Statistical Probabilities. Can a group of mutants... They want to find out what makes our genetically engineered brains tick. ...alter history? So then you agree with our conclusion, hmm? We're all as good as dead. ...on the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It is directed by the one and only Patsy Weber. Yay! 
Anson <laughs> I <Williams>. still got it. <laughs> He's gonna. What was what was the song that he always sang? Ooh, what was it not a thing? I found my thrill. No, that was that was Richie Cunningham. The, but, yeah, uh, right. I think Patsy had a signature tune also, though I may be wrong. Uh, anyway, the story is by Pam, Pam Pietroforte. Uh, teleplay by Rene Echavaria. Featured music by David Bell. Uh, it has a guest cast of Jeffrey Combs as Wayne Yoon, Tim Ransom as Jack, Janetta Annette as Dr. Lowe's, Hilary Shepard as Lauren, Michael Keenan as Bill, I mean Patrick, <laughs> Casey Biggs as Damar, and Faith Saley as Serena Douglas. Ooh, look at me, I'm Paul Spitaro, I can pronounce names. <laughs> Do you want, you want to take a shot at the uh, at the who wrote the story there, Bill? Nothing, nothing. I didn't say anything. You, you've, just, you've just heard me say it. Do you want to take a shot at it? Pam Pietroforte. Oh, that's very good, Bill. I've been getting better at names ever since we had sure. you genetically enhanced. <laughs> yeah, genetically enhanced so I can pronounce. So I might as well give the uh, the plot of this episode, and then we'll talk about it. Is there a plot here? <laughs> there we go. Yes, okay, below me. the background. It's yeah. just this c- compared to last episode, this is a rather lengthy and meaty um, Wikipedia entry. Well, this is I guess this is an average sized, you know, plot as, as <laughs> Sorry. I'm just reading the description of Patrick is a man in his 50s with obvious mental abilities. Although he is just as obviously not athletic. <laughs> However, despite his age, and intellect, he has emotional responses of a child. Why was somebody watching me? <laughs> He's prone to emotional outbursts. When threatened with punishment, he becomes ha- highly anxious. Bill, sit quietly, or we're not going to let you have a snack after we're done. It's because I interrupt. See, that's why I interrupt. <laughs> I get such a kick out of Jack with that. <laughs> what was, I don't even remember the comment that he gave when uh, he, he, he said something to Bashir and then Bashir just defended he said well then why did you bring it up <laughs> just, I, I loved it but anyway with Federation Dominion peace negotiations in the background Dr. Bashir decides to take time to help less fortunate augments with their problems he is introduced to four augments who due to unintended side effects are unable to function in society Bashir realizes that his patient's primary problem is boredom. As Jack has pointed out, they are forbidden from pursuing any profession where they could put their brain power to work. Meanwhile, Damar has become the new leader of the Cardassian Union and offers peace talks with the Federation. Watching his speech, the Augments make several incredibly accurate guesses about Damar and how he came to power, including that he murdered the princess of the deposed king. Bashir convinces Captain Sisko to allow the Augments to review the peace negotiations to see if they could determine the Dominion's agenda. The project works beyond Bashir and Sisko's wildest dreams. Based on subtle grammatical clues, the Augments learn the Dominion language overnight. In intimate knowledge of Dominion tactics, their negotiations offer some something valuable to cover the fact that they are after something even more valuable. And behavioral in idiosyncrasies, they notice Damar avoids certain sarcasms with his eyes. The Federation learns that the Dominion wants to draw the border to secure a planet that has many of the raw materials needed to make Ketracel white. Knowing this gives the Federation negotiators a huge advantage in the talks. As such, the Federation agrees to provide the Augments with further intelligence information, which they use to develop a statistical historical model to predict the future. 
the augments soon come to the conclusion that the Federation is doomed to lose the war and suffer casualties in the hundreds of billions. As a result, they recommend surrender, which will save those lives and still leave the Federation in a position to rise up against the Dominion in the future. Bashir is convinced the augments are right and pleads the case before Captain Sisko. However, Sisko and Starfleet reject the suggestion out of hand. Faced with what they feel is the equivalent of a decision to commit suicide, the Augments decide to try to leak Starfleet's strategic plans to the Dominion negotiators on board DS9, hoping to shorten the war and minimize casualties. Bashir rightly sees this as foolhardy, but Jack, Lauren, and Patrick overpower him. Bound hand and foot and left alone with Serena, Bashir convinces Serena that her fellow Augments' actions will result in their imprisonment and separation. Bashir plays on the fact that he has determined that Serena is in love with Jack, something the other augments have failed to realize. Serena frees Bashir in the nick of time and alerts Constable Odo, who intercepts the augments on their way to the meeting with the Dominion negotiators. Later, Bashir realizes that hubris primarily drove the belief that the Federation would lose, rather than believe they might be wrong about, their co- about the course of the war. They decided they couldn't possibly be wrong because of their superior intellect. The key point is that despite all of their intelligence and the presumed infallibility of the statistical historical model, the actions of one person, Serena, altered their plan, which in turn completely altered history, changing a turkey shoot by the Dominion into a drawn-out slog at worst. Bashir returns to his duties and the Augments return to their institution, promising to continue work on a plan for defeating the Dominion, albeit without classified information. Now, I know, at least initially, uh, in our private chats, I I felt like I was the only one who kind of was high on this episode. Uh, And I guess it's my job to maybe convince you guys that it's... That, that, it, that it was decent. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to convince you that it was a high episode, but I think uh, I think I, I might have a shot at decent. I thought this was a pretty fascinating episode on several fronts. First of all, I found the characters, with the exception of Serena, who really has nothing to do in this episode except for sit there, but I found them all to be uh, amusing and interesting. And just the concept of, okay, Bashir had the augmentation and he's now, you know, he, he could be part of Kanani and Singh's crew. But the idea that, okay, there's people who are having back alley uh, genetic enhancement that doesn't work so well is, I, I just think it's a fascinating concept to see how it would play out. And, and I really just got a big kick out of watching them in this episode and to see how, you know, how that superior mental ability worked out especially like when they were watching Damar and figuring out everything that was going on with him by the way he was speaking uh you know it doesn't like you can't i don't think you could sit there watching it and put together the pieces of the puzzle that they did and come to the conclusions that they did but i kind of accepted it as they're seeing such subtleties that even when explained to me i can't see them so i was okay with that uh again i just thought the personalities were was so much fun. I, I really just enjoyed the heck out of them. Uh, and it also opens the, the floor to debate about the whole augmentation process, uh, you know, why it would be banned, and when it was done in the back alleys, what you would, you know, what you would and would not allow people to do. Uh, I do think there's a, a level of hypocrisy because they do let Bashir, you know, keep his, his, his normal status. Uh, although he is banned from certain activities, but you know Jack clearly points that out that oh because he you know he can present as more normal they let him do stuff, so 
this I thought I thought there was some levels on this one, and I thought it was really kind of fun to watch. And I just got a big kick out of just the characters and the interplay between them. I also liked the uh, you know the the way they mined the statistical information. You know, billions will die. So now you had a debate over you know the intellectual conclusions that they came to, the emotional reaction to that, and then you know always the X factor that comes into play. It almost reminded me of the Mad Thinker from the Fantastic Four card uh, comics. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good uh, comparison. Um, I didn't end up hating this one as as I much as much as I thought I would. Do you when do you, do you think it, it was revealed... tempered by uh, the episode before it and having to watch two back to back, perhaps? Because I think that's maybe why I sounded like I I was down on this one. I don't think I'm as down as I thought I was. No, I mean, my memory of the Jack pack is that they were incredibly annoying. Um, I actually think I liked them a lot more in this particular one than than I thought I was going to. And all of the characteristics are well-defined, yeah? It opens up all of the conversations we had last time about genetic manipulation. It does beg the question why the hell this is banned in Starfleet, because if it wasn't, maybe the they would have taken the children to regular doctors and not back alley clinics uh, and had them augmented properly. If you, if you open it up wide, then where does it stop? Yes. That, but this is all the conversations that we had last time, which is why I don't think that there was really anything new to this one in relation to the conversation about genetic manipulation. Because some of the arguments that they put forth in this one, well... <laughs> If you're stronger than me, how is that even? Well, the Starfleet has Klingons in it who are stronger than humans and Vulcans who are stronger than humans. It's not like we're talking about Olympics or sporting events where obviously you wouldn't have Klingons competing against humans for that very reason. But surely Starfleet in its its diversity would be embracing of all people, certainly not discriminating against humanity that had been genetically altered illegally and had something go wrong. Why would we discriminate against those people? Because they're afraid of them. Well, which do you think as, as many other things it's it, to me, it's thinking about this, watching the episode and thinking this is supposed to be the, what the 24th century. Yeah. And, that they're putting people into instant quote-unquote institutions where obviously these people are well i guess bored out, out of their minds but they're being kept there because society's afraid of them i mean there's no way to what well, I'm, I'm but they're, know, they're also there, not capable of of emotionally handling life well now can they true. be taught what is it because and, they're and just it, totally bored or you well, can know, they be taught the, and nurtured to to be able to handle life or is this just something that they're so high strung or whatever that that they can't i'm not sure certainly mm-hmm. serena can't handle herself well that's true yeah Hmm. See, there's also the implication as well that Jack is supposed to be dangerous as well as, you know, highly evolved. Well, he does. And I never. Yeah, yeah I he never, does have fits. I never got that from the episode. I mean, there's a couple of moments where he's holding the the doctor person and the other bit where he says there's three things you should never do. And one of them is lock people in an airlock and open it. <laughs> and the implication there is he's locked somebody in an airlock. But I never, I never get from his performance that he's supposed to be dangerous. We're supposed to find him lovable. Yeah, I really, you know, when he oh, smashes wait, the pad and and cuts the doctor's hand with it. 
Well, when he, he, holds, yeah, the knife, he, when he holds the knife to Serena's the neck? knife to the thing, yeah. But even no, he, then, well, he threatens to snap her neck too, doesn't he? Or did he have a knife? I thought. I, he I, no, I'm not sure. I think it might have been just threatens to her neck. I, I thought sure. he had a knife, but I don't remember. But even then, I think we're supposed to find him likable and quirky rather than dangerous. Oh, I think so, we're supposed to see both sides of that. I think we're supposed to mm-hmm. like him, but understand that that he's got the ability to unravel and be dangerous. Mm-hmm. So the the thing that this was left with for me was the whole Demar subplot, which I adored. I thought all the Demar stuff was great. All the stuff with the um, with Weyoun was great as usual. <laughs> I love. Isn't this exciting? <laughs> I love when Weyoun comes on board the station and is genuflecting to Odo, and Odo's yeah, yeah, it's an honour to be in the same room as me. Odo's just taking none of his shit. <laughs> I lo- so all of the Demar Weyoun stuff was great. And they did actually manage to tie the two plots together in a way that sometimes they don't manage. Mm -hmm. So overall, I did actually think this one was better than the last one. And I enjoyed it more than the last one. But like Bill says, was this a case of I watched these two back to back and this one was better in comparison to the last one? I don't think so. I think this one had more to say and it felt like a continuation of the story by having Demar and Weyoun in it. Yeah, I think we, I think we had not only a an exploration of personalities and a little bit of science fiction aspect to it, but we also had a furtherance of the overall plot with Demar and with you know what the strategy was. Uh, now you know we we know of now a little bit more of a weakness with the Dominion that they're a little concerned about their ability to to uh, manufacture Ketracel White. So, you know, that that's something that, that Starfleet should probably be strategically looking at and saying, okay, you know, how do, how do we stop the supply lines of this stuff? Because, you know, it's going to cripple them if we can. You know, otherwise they wouldn't be so concerned about getting ho- a hold of a planet to, to manufacture it. Mm. So, I, yeah, I think, so I think there's some, you know, there's, there's aspects of this, this show that, that, you know, satisfy both sides of it. Yeah, which is probably why I ended up enjoying this one a little bit more because at least it did feel like there was some continuation to it and there was a reason that it was going on. And I love as well the different relationship Weyoun has with uh, Demar than he had with Ducat. <laughs> yeah, he's not taking any of Demar's crap. No, he's... You he's, could be easily replaced, just like your predecessor. Yeah, so the idea that Demar is under no illusions whatsoever who's in charge, whereas Ducat's ego wouldn't allow him to even think for a second that he wasn't in charge. Mm-hmm. So all of that was interesting, and all of that feels like it's furthering the story somewhat. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Now, I was, I, go ahead, well, I was surprised we didn't see more of a reaction from Kira when she sees Demar. Maybe more of a seething, because she knows that Demar killed Ziao, right? Yeah. I mean, everybody knows that. So it's like, I, yeah, I think it's public she, knowledge. She seemed more uh, sickened or just. I would have. She 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 should have had a stronger reaction to him versus Weyoun. She didn't seem any more sickened by him than she normally does. Yeah, right. And you think she yeah. would be. And her, I mean, her, really her, would her be. level of being sickened by him is just almost that, you know, she, like like he's contemptible and he's beneath her. Uh, you know, like, like she, she almost can't be bothered with him because he's he's like in her mind, he's a lackey. So. Yeah, but he's he's well, he should have easily risen to a new level of hatred. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Disdain. You're right. I think that that's a missed character moment that they should have had, uh, you know, her, her react much more strongly to him. And uh, God bless you, Andy. Thank you. 
Yeah, I, so, I, I do think that's a missed opportunity, and it's one, to be quite honest with you, that I didn't realize until you just pointed it out now. Mm-hmm. That I, I do think that's a fact. I, I find just from a, a uh, you know, we, we talked in the last episode like about an elevator pitch. I, I just, or I talked about it. I, I think from an elevator pitch point of view, when you say this episode and you say, you know, okay, Bashir was successfully augmented and now he's kind of fallen back into his own, own life and he's integrated into society. But what about people who, you know, it didn't work so well for, uh, you know, what would happen to them? And like, if I were a showrunner and they came to me and said that, I'd be like, you know, get me more, develop that and, and come back to me. And I think they did it well. I love the personalities that they gave to these, these four augments. Uh, you know, the one Serena, obviously, like I said, she's nearly catatonic, and we really don't see too much of her just yet. You know, we'll, we'll get a little bit more of her later on. Uh, but the, the other three, you know, I, I just found them fascinating. They, they, they have, all three of them have some comic aspect to them. But there's also, you know, you see, like, as they work out problems in their mind or as they're, you know, seeing things underneath the surface that we just don't notice, uh, it, it came off as fairly believable to me, despite the fact that, like I said, I couldn't follow the logic that they're using. Uh, and, and I just really, really enjoyed that. And again, just well, the, I the comic I, aspect I thought was terrific of all three, all three mm-hmm. of them. I think maybe that shows, um, because being around um, with my wife's family, uh, well, one is severely autistic, the other is mildly. So I could kind of see how the... The two children that are um, the one that's I say mild, but he'll he, he, like I he's kind of like um, the Patrick character where but you know where he's he's you could see where he's not going to progress beyond a certain level and be able to um, integrate. But after you're around him, you understand why he does certain things and you understand how his behavior translates and you know. I mean, he he speaks and everything, but he's working on a different level. And and once you're around him, you know what that level is and how to how to get him how to work with him to get him to do things. Because a lot of times he you know he gets angry because he can't do what he wants to do. So you have to talk him down and you have to work him. You know, you have to you you have to change your behavior to get him to do what needs to be done. You know, because he wants to go to the store. Well, we can't go to the store right now. And boom, it becomes a big emotional outburst that you then have to defuse. You know, kind of like a combination of maybe Patrick and Jack. You got to learn how to defuse this bomb, it, the emotional bomb aspect of his per- personality. It's not as cut and dry as it is in this episode. There's, you know, and and the character of Serena is kind of like my sister-in-law's older child, although she's not catatonic, but she can't, she doesn't speak. She communicates with clicks and, you know, hand gestures and, you know, she, that's because she's been at home for most of her life and, you know, she can now communicate with us, but it's still, it's, it's so frustrating on our level because you know, they're trying to talk to us or she's trying to talk to us, but there's a barrier there and you could I could see the frustration in her face when she's trying to tell us something. It's like she's looking at us, maybe like Jack, like, you know, you're so stupid. You can't understand me. I'm telling you what I want. And you're just looking at me like I'm the idiot. But you're the idiot because you're not operating at my level. I don't know. I'm babbling. <laughs> no, I don't think you're babbling, no, I don't think you're babbling no, at all. I think, I think you're actually being yet. insightful in, in my mind uh, because I do think – 
that while this episode is entertaining and while this episode does present some of the possible issues, it it's gonna you're gonna oversimplify it if you're trying to go into you know depth in 45 minutes as to what type of conditions exist out there that uh, and and to try and say we fully understand everything about them. And I, I think you're all right. Uh, there, yeah. I mean, you, there you're could be a whole series. That. There could be a whole series, you know, this could be like a documentary series mm-hmm. on, on Netflix, how to communicate with people that have autism or Asperger's or some degree thereof, you know, of human behavior, you know, yeah, to, to try to sum this up in a 45 minute show and have some other plot in there. Yeah, we're, we're only just bouncing off the surface of, of you know, these behaviors and, and this issue. Yeah, and then, you know, I... I you know, I think we've talked about it again in the past, and I, you know, I don't want to misunderstand or misstate things, uh, but I, I do think it's much more complicated than what we see on the surface. And I think the email that we received a couple of weeks ago kind of is an example of that—that that you can't just simply categorize these things. You know, and and you know what they talk about as the autism spectrum is such a wide and varied thing that people on that spectrum need don't have the same needs and don't have the same abilities or the same, uh, you know, lack of abilities in certain instances, you know, when we're talking about communication and that kind of thing, that there's such a wide variance that I I think, again, and this may be naivete on my part, so I apologize beforehand, but I I think in my mind, uh, what we call autism is probably putting a bunch of different things into one category that you know, you, you that aren't necessarily all the same. So I don't know if that that makes sense. But uh, you know, we we also saw four different characters in this who have four different types of, uh, for lack of a better word, disorders uh, that affect them. You know, Patrick has more of an emotional thing. Uh, Jack has more of a attention span and that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, I, I forget the other the woman's name has got this narcissist thing going on. Uh, you know, there's definitely different aspects of their personalities that we're seeing and i don't think it's just to say oh we're gonna have fun and create these different personalities i think it you know part of it is them saying that these things really do have a very wide and varied range to them so that you can't just categorize them easily i don't know if i'm babbling or making sense Mm. no I i think you've both managed to encapsulate what the episode is about very succinctly better than me and and what I, I, what I always say is, you know, Star Trek is at its best when it makes you think. And I feel like not only did this entertain me, but it made me think. Okay, well, let's talk about the performances of okay. of uh, uh, who in particular. Uh, let's uh, not to be sexist, but let's start with Hillary Shepard because <laughs> we we had some discussion in the last episode and between the episodes that we thought did they purposely try to make her look like a person who I I, I like. I've seen other pictures of her, and she looks really better. But like, they try to make her look like like maybe she had too much makeup on. Like she, like a person that's really trying too hard to, or thinks they're a lot better looking than they are. Or well, wow, I really sound sexist. I, I no, well, well, a, a, any highs I reached a few minutes ago, I am now just <laughs> diving right into the gutter, into I'm, the gutter, and wallowing in it. I'm picturing the saucer section smashing to the ground in generations right now. <laughs> But I think when yeah, I, I mean, was you're, you're, at her, you're I, on point that they're trying to make her look like somebody who, who, who is, who thinks that she's a sex pot and is trying to. But when they come on to you, you way. feel creeped out. You're like, ooh, yeah, okay, because it's right. overdone a little. 
yeah, maybe. It's like, okay, back back it off a little, will you? Although she really catches Bashir by surprise when she says goodbye at the end <laughs> with that big old open mouth kiss, and he's like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> uh, goodbye. <laughs> so, uh, and um, um, Serena, I mean, she played a person who doesn't really say anything rather well, but she still emoted a, a lot, and the little subtleties in her performance was a complete 180 in. Well, obviously, because the character is completely different of um, uh, Lauren, you know, where she's over the top and in your face. Serena's just kind of like trying to blend in and look like the furniture. But you can still see the subtleties in her performance, you know, and how she reacts to certain people. And then then there's your buddy Jack. Hmm? 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 <laughs> you don't like Jack. I didn't say that. Then why'd you bring him up? Um <laughs> Because he was in the next one I was going to talk about. I I, I, I don't know if he was my favorite or if uh, if Patrick was. I'm not sure. I like I liked I, Patrick. I, I liked... think it's Patrick because you think I'm Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> You're a combination of Patrick from this and Patrick from SpongeBob. <laughs> uh, hey, <laughs> I resemble that. <laughs> Yeah, I liked Patrick a lot. I thought, especially the scene where O'Brien kind of pushes him away when he's trying to fix the whatever, and uh, he got really sad. I felt so sorry for him. Well, Patrick seems to be one of the ones that has the most insight out of all, all of them because he's the one that knows that the whole reason O'Brien is there because he wants to spend time with Bashir, but he can't. And then that kind of clues in the other, like, oh, you want to spend time with your friend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think they totally catch him. No, no, I don't. No. And then he starts crying. <laughs> he doesn't like me. <laughs> I thought it was great. I, 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 I got to tell you, I'm pretty high on this episode. Mm. So, I, I, you know, I don't know why you guys hate it so much. We don't hate that. it. Why do you hate it? <laughs> we don't hate it. Now, their whole using uh, statistical history to predict the future reminded me of an Isaac Asimov book I read a long time ago, um, the Foundation series. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the uh, – there was a thing in that called psychohistory, which was kind of like this where you could predict trends and things that would happen based on um, – models of math and such but god i haven't read that since high school so i really don't remember a lot of it have either of you ever read that i've not read the foundation series by asimov no i'm aware of it there was a time when i actually owned it but i never read it i had i I had been in the science fiction book club and that was one of the ones ah yes yes we we've all been there we've all you know we've all had that commitment we had to make but I never, I never got to got around to reading that one. We had to give up our pound of flesh to the science fiction book club, just to get those thirteen Star Trek novels we needed so badly, which we would later sell for next to nothing. And the extra special science fiction book club tote bag. Oh yes. Ooh. Or the I think I got a keychain once. I'm not quite See, I mean, sure. That is a uh, and, and yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. The statistical model thing, because. You know, I hit on that with the Mad Thinker and the Fantastic Four. Yeah. And what they do, it seems to me, and this is a little cliche, is they, you know, come up with a statistical model where it's 98.999% likely that this is going to happen. And in the narrative, it always ends up being that point, you know, 1.2% that Mm -hmm. comes into play and changes everything. 
it's you know more often than not it's if if it's a 98.999% or whatever it is that's got you know it's going to come to pass almost invariably but as far as dramatic writing it always ends up being the other way you know, <laughs> right. it's, it's, it goes to hand solo saying don't tell me the odds you know that kind of thing yeah so you know i do feel that's a little cliche uh, but just the same I kind of liked it in this one from the point of view of they're saying, oh, this is what should happen, so we should surrender. Do you think Bashir's big um, turn was a little disingenuous to suddenly, oh, we're going to lose? He was like Dr. Smith from Lost in Space. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, the pain, the futures, no! Oh, yeah, he, he, did get, he, 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 he did get a little bit over the top in his arguments. Like, but I on, took dude. I took that as him feeling a kinship to these people and getting emotional about wanting to defend them. Maybe yeah. Doctor Bashir should spend some time in the institute. <laughs> yeah, I, I did think that was a bit weird, but I've not liked how they played Bashir since we found out he was augmented. It's like he's suddenly playing a completely different character. He's Debbie Downer, and I don't sudden. believe that he would be any different. Yeah. You know, yeah, because this the, is not the, the first war time where he's see. he's blabbed out. You know, well, the odds of that. You know, oh, oh, you know, he's 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 a cross between Doctor Smith and Marvin the Robot from Hitchhikers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you ought to know. I'm feeling very depressed. <laughs> Hi there, I'm a door. Would you like to go through me? No. <laughs> he he definitely is a little over the top when he's debating it with Cisco because he starts to get like, like emotional he's about it he, instead he of getting Cisco is wrong he's like oh you're look the facts are all here we must surrender oh da, da. So, and you know and of course Cisco will fight you know he suddenly becomes Winston Churchill yeah, <laughs> but, but fight but, them on the beaches. We will fight them for the countryside, and we will fight them on Pandari Prime. And we. Will... <laughs> I think I think Bashir right. should have been much more sedate and logical in the way he presented it to Cisco, instead of being so over the top emotional about it. Not that he should be a Vulcan, but I think when you're trying to tell a, 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 an entire, I don't even know, you know. Society, we'll just put it that way, an entire society that they should surrender their freedom for the next whatever it is, 150 years, or however long they said it was going to be until the rebellion would rise up. I think you well, need it, to do so in a makes, way where it's compelling, not just emotional. Well, it kind of makes you question maybe Dr. Bashir shouldn't be in Starfleet. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it, it does. It makes it, it you sh if you were Admiral whoever, you should be saying, you know what? Maybe this guy shouldn't have a position of, of authority. Maybe he should be as limited as these other augments because I'm afraid he's gonna, you know, go over the top and do something wrong because he's too emotional about it and he and he clearly <laughs> is is feeling you know very very uh, influenced by it. So while while he did the right thing this time, how can we trust that he's going to continue to do the right thing? Mm -hmm. I I could see a fear of that. No question about it. I'd lock yeah, him all up. Yeah, because he he even kind of <laughs> accuses. You know, Cisco, he's like, oh, the, the data's here. Are you daft? You know, like, excuse me, doctor? No, you roll, bitch. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's, you know, Cisco should have I got have four pips, buddy. Back it down. Cisco should have had a little, like, button under the table to call security. <laughs> yes, doctor. And while he's doing it, he should be pressing the button. <laughs> Odo kind of oozes in from the ceiling. Blah, 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 blah. Doctor, come with me. <laughs> He finds himself locked up with the rest of the uh, augments. That would that would have been an interesting scene. <laughs> We're not laughing, saying that we should lock up the augments before we someone sends in an email. 
Well, now we're just we we are no longer commenting on the uh, condition that they face. We're we're just having we're just commenting the narrative on the flow of the story now. Yeah, uh, yeah, Jack, uh, Jack. You know, he hacks the comms. <laughs> Doctor Bashir, Doctor Bashir, mm-hmm. Doctor Bashir, you there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. While they're in their meeting, <laughs> he just got to. Uh. <laughs> I, I like I said, I I think this. I'm not I'm not giving my rating yet, but I think this is well above average. I really enjoyed this one, and I do think there's an element of I disliked the last one, and then seeing this one all of a sudden like made me perk up because I watched them two in a row, mm-hmm. and uh, and I watched the last one, and I was all down on it, and I was thinking this this stinks, and I started wondering should I even watch the next one yet? But I did, and before the uh, before we even got to the opening credits, I was thinking okay, I'm enjoying this one. Mm-hmm. So this this one pulled me right in, and and I, it kept me for the entire episode. I didn't really remember how it got resolved until I watched it over again, and I do remember maybe in a later augment episode I'm going to be a little bit more down on it because I do remember these characters annoying me a little bit more than they did. Not even a little bit more. I remember them annoying me, and they didn't annoy me at all in this episode. Yeah, see, I don't remember the one where they come back. I don't remember what what what, what happens. In that. I do have some memories of it. I think they come back in more than one episode, actually. Oh. Uh, I think there's two, but uh, so now I don't remember. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head if I'm going to be annoyed by them in the next episode they appear in, or if I've just developed a fondness for them that I didn't have before. I'm not sure which one it will be, but you know, time will tell. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, but in this one, I really, I definitely, really enjoyed them. So all that said, do we have anything else? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> well, why'd you ask me then, Dave? What do you think? Okay, thanks. Pithy as usual. <laughs> he just gave me a look. Straight to the point. So, so I guess we can rate this one now. And since, since this is my episode and I'm leading the charge on this one, I am going to say I think this was above average. I think it was a very enjoyable episode. I don't think it's among the greatest episodes in the series. I'm going to give it a 3.5. I'm going to go 3.5 as well. Uh, yeah, you know what? I'm going to give it 3.5. Uh, <laughs> if that could be a thing. I'm going to give it 3.5 Patrick's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm going to give it 3.5 Deep Space Nine party hats. <laughs> <laughs> and then and when we go off the air, we're all, we're all going to just start dancing. <laughs> so I, I don't, I don't. I, I am surprised because I thought you guys were not going to rate it as highly as that, but I'm happy that you did. It's nice uh, that we can we, we can fool you. I think our discussion brought it back up. And that's what we thought of it. What do you think Blaine thought? Mm, 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 mm. What does Blaine say? Mm, mm, mm. Blaine, 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 what do you say? Mm, 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 mm. Blaine says, hi guys, this one frustrates me. By day, I'm a teacher in private education, and I have been since 2013. I've come to intensely dislike the term learning disability, preferring instead learning anomaly. I think that's a much more accurate representation of what is actually going on with these people. The beginning makes me wary. There are diagnoses that would seem to strongly correlate with the quirks and behaviors depicted by these new characters. I liked that they seem to be addressing how these people are often terribly treated and how we dug into act two of the episode where they started advising and were commended for it. That seemed to be paying off. The behavior shown was still stereotypical, but the intended message seemed to be a good one. Then we hit the treason and everything fell apart again. I appreciate the intent we had for these characters in the second act, but 
it still rubs me the wrong way. That said, Patsy turned out to be a fine director, and the cast played their parts well. According to Memory Alpha, the first pitch had these characters accepted and consulting from the outset, so the message here wasn't part of the original concept. Thus, the ending would have undermined that message. It was the decision to include the message and not pull back on the treason in the finale that created the combination that drives me bonkers. This could have been great, but a rocky start and self-destructive and almost ruin it for me, Blaine. Uh, I can't say you're wrong, Blaine. I, I think that's a different perspective on it. I think the way I take it is these characters are brilliant, but they're somewhat emotionally stunted and... Part of that may be due to the fact that they've been institutionalized and haven't been treated with respect their whole lives, so they don't know how to react to things. I think maybe if they had been more integrated in, they would have a greater understanding of how they fit into society, and they wouldn't have been so over-the-top in their actions. Uh, You know, I, I think they're presented as somewhat childlike because of that, and they don't see the ramifications of their behavior much as a child doesn't. Uh, so I'm blaming it less, you know, the, the treasonous aspect, I'm blaming it less on the condition than on how they've been treated up, up until this point, and that they don't have the emotional stability because of that to make a better decision. I could be oversimplifying it again, I don't know. But that's how I saw it, so it didn't bother me that they took that path with it. Uh, but you know whether or not that's realistic or not, I don't know. But I've, you know, I, I, I haven't. You have more experience dealing with people with what do you call it? Learning anomalies. Learning, yeah, yeah. learning anomalies. I, I do like that term. It sounds uh, respectful, and I like that. And is that it? Do we not have any other emails? Uh, uh, we have another one from Tissum Tissum. Oh, okay. Anybody want to take that? Well, I did the last one, so that was a whole episode ago, and I and this was my episode, so it's not in my contract. Well, it's well, it's Bill's turn, Bill's turn, then, isn't it? Well, 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 I'm not contractually obligated to read email. Oh, so why on. are you here? <laughs> I think Angela's going to hit you because you made Bill cry. Oh, poor Bill. Ah, Ferengi Things from Tissum Tissum, the Spatula Messiah. Ferengi Things. Listeners, quickly checking in after listening to the episode. uh, See, this is why I don't read emails, Andy. Quickly checking in after listening to the episode on Season 5, Episode 18, Business as Usual. I've never really seen eye-to-eye with folks like you. Ooh. Oh, well, excuse me, who tend to be fans of the typical Ferengi episode full of easy jokes and bad slapstick and will and will never for the life of me understand what you find so moving about embarrassing garbage like family business. Oh, ow, cut me to the quick with that spatula. But at this point in its life, the show seemed to have fleetingly decided to actually take Quark and his moral code, such as it is, seriously. Shimmerman is one of the best actors in the cast and can certainly handle some weighty stuff. I think that episodes like Body Parts and Business as Usual are a setup. I do feel like, and yes, this has come up several times before, the way Trek used to handle storytelling is always going to be a hurdle for the modern viewer. Quark loses his business license, then carries carries on as a background character as if nothing happened until almost a year later when suddenly it is all it's it's this all consuming albatross weighing down his life. Yeah, yeah, he does have a point there. You know, it's it, it does suddenly 
you know, when Plud's plot driven, it does raise its ugly head. And then by the end of the episode, it can be pushed into the background again until two episodes later. We can get the same expository dialogue about how losing his business license has ruined his life and nothing is going well. TV viewers today just don't put up with that anymore because it's a different time for the medium. Granted, Trekkies throughout the the TNG DS9 years were already clamoring for more long-term consequences, but nowadays it's an expectation. So yeah, this one was really tense, as you say. Uh, I feel the episode sets it up so that in this particular set of circumstances with these particular stresses, Quark is just desperate enough to delude himself into taking a dangerous deal that he'd have been able to refuse if he had been in a more secure position. We'll be curious to see if you thought what you thought of Ferengi love songs, given it, it epitomizes why Ferengi episodes mostly suck. And comes practically and comes practically right after a demonstration that it is possible to tell a serious Trek story about Quark and his people. Best Ben. P.S. And I find this the most disturbing part of this email. Mm-hmm. No, I have no intention of ever explaining the spatula messiah. <laughs> See, now, now I picture Ben as living in a bunker. Not unlike the underground bunker in uh, beneath the Planet of the Apes, with a giant spatula hanging on the wall, and and all, all these hail people, the bomb. Yeah, all these people, uh, you know, just 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 praising it and you know just going nuts. Glory to my spatula. Yeah, pretty much. The mighty spatula. We all bail before the spatula. Comments on the Ferengi episodes. Uh, I think I'm somewhere probably in the middle. I don't necessarily love the Ferengi episodes, although I do love Wallace Shawn. Uh, yeah, I think it's the I think it's the the Wallace Shawn and the tiny Ron love that makes us <laughs> tiny <laughs> Ron love. Yeah, that didn't sound that sounded better in my head. Mm. Well, maybe not tiny Ron love in my head. That doesn't sound any better either. Yeah, I'm just gonna go put on a hat and just shut up. <laughs> and dance around the room while Lane and I talk. Dance around the room in a big giant onesie. <laughs> I love that outfit. <laughs> he reminded me of a big Mickey Rooney. Yeah, yeah. My name is Bill. William for short. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot he did. My name is Bill. <laughs> I don't think Andy probably comes, has never it seen It all comes that. full circle. <laughs> you ever see that, Andy? Well, uh, <laughs> my name is now, Bill. Yes, star, that's, star, the name, that's the name of the Mickey movie, Rooney. isn't it? Yes. Yes. My name is I, Bill. I have Mickey never Rooney. seen that now. He plays, oh, a, yeah. he he, plays he, a, he, uh, a, a, like, a learning, uh, what is it, a learning uh, anomaly. Yeah, and one and in Mickey Rooney's performance, I mean, that was when he was older, too. Yeah, he was, he was and probably he's, in his you know, 70s. He's like, my name is, you know, my, you know he said, I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of a slur. I'm not making fun. I'm just redoing what, Mick, what Mickey Rooney did. He's like, my name is Bill William for short. So yeah, I've had to hear that my a lot of my life. So thanks, for, I I dredged that out of my subconscious. You know, <laughs> my name is Bill. Oh, Bill. Yeah. Poor. poor yeah, that what well, well, and there was a sequel to that movie too. And no, I'm not making a joke. There was a sequel to that movie. I cannot my remember. My name is still Bill. No, it was it. No, the, the sequel oh. was My Name Is Doctor Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. No, honestly, I think there was a sequel to it. It was. It definitely okay. was. I don't remember what it was called. I don't know. It was My Name is Bill 2, Electric Boogaloo? I mean... I, I don't know. But you know what? When yeah. ne- next time, we're not doing My Name is Bill. But what are we doing? I just type in My next. Name is Dill. Dill. <laughs> next time, an all-new episode. I don't want to be Iggy Pop, but if that's what it takes... 
the Federation's most feared enemy. And we'll all die! Unleashes an act of unprovoked hostility. My mother's been taken prisoner by the Dominion. They're cold-blooded. Killer. Ruthless. They're here to kill us all. Invincible. We're finished! Now Starfleet is pulling out the big guns. Devil! Is the Dominion ready for Quark? I surrender! On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. There you go. See you all next time. In the next episode? Yes, he is. Oh, I hadn't. Uh, I hadn't. I have not looked ahead. No, you mm. have not. See you all next time. Goodbye, Bill. You gonna say uh, goodbye? <laughs> no, Bill don't give a shit. <laughs> Bye. All right. <laughs> See you all next time. Listen to the prophets at Deep Space Nine podcast is a two true freaks presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you'd like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the twotruefreaks.com website, where if you click the little link that we have there, it will take you straight through that site, and whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. You there? You there? You just trying to hold me down? What? 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 Mine? 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 Then why'd you bring it up? He doesn't like me. Paul's making fun of me, Andy. If we were genetically... Altered, which you be Patrick? Oh, we really miss. I really miss Dave because we could have all been a character. I could be. I could be me. I could be the frumpy guy who's just crying and laughing. Andy, Andy would be laying on the table saying, "Andy be laying on the he table wants me. going, I'm beautiful.' He wants me. I'm beautiful. <laughs> well, Dave could be here because Dave could. Dave is here. He'll just be quiet the whole episode and not say anything. And I just keep looking at him. Yeah, <laughs> starting, going, starting arguments with him. <laughs> oh, see, this is a perfect episode for the three slash four of us. <laughs> he doesn't like me. <laughs> he doesn't like me. <laughs> and I can just see you in that outfit, so <laughs> dancing. <Hey. laughs> with, with a little hat on. <laughs> How There's nothing not? wrong with that plasma flow, and you know that.